Some of you are happy to see it go. Others of you will probably keep the decorations up for as long as is socially acceptable. In any case, it's time to move on, right? It's after all New Year's Eve. Tomorrow holds the promise of a new year. However, for the better part of the last month, we as a church family have looked to the first chapter of the Gospel of John to hear again the good news of Christmas. We were reminded that Jesus, the Word, wasn't simply born into existence 2,000 years ago, but rather he existed in eternity past and was the one who spoke creation into being. We also saw that Jesus is the true source of life and light, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. John told us that many rejected the light, and we see that rejection continued even to today. But we were reminded to those who do receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And finally, as our pastor wrapped things up, we saw that this God of the universe, the one who created it all, put on flesh and lived among us. And in the person of Jesus Christ, we see the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. All that the Father has revealed about himself to humanity is found in the person of Jesus Christ. We have recounted the person and work of Christ in his coming to die for sinners. We have proclaimed the gospel afresh. And so, children of Christmas, now what? We know that Advent is not complete. Jesus has come to die, has risen again, has ascended to the Father. But his Advent, his coming, is not finished. He's coming again. Advent continues as we look to the clouds to behold his return in glorious splendor as our mighty champion, King of kings and Lord of lords. So do we hunker down, passively wait, holding tightly to this gift of salvation until he returns to take us home? Is there some kind of appropriate response to the good news of Christmas that we should be aware of? As you've already seen in your worship order, the session of our church, uh, the men who God has called to be our spiritual leaders have chosen a Bible verse for 2018, as is our habit here, for our church family to memorize together, to meditate upon, to place upon our refrigerators with magnets. I believe this verse perfectly helps us transition from Advent to answer that question. Now what? In addition, it's a great verse to begin the new year together as we think about new beginnings and fresh resolutions, right? It's that time of year. 
Our church family will also remember that we have recently come out of a several-year study of the book of Romans. And so it's also appropriate for our verse of the year to reflect that study and to aid us in continuing our application of that teaching that we experienced. So for these reasons, I am excited to present to you today our verse of the year, and I count it a privilege to do so. Romans 12.2. And my hope and prayer is that God will use his word to transform our lives for his glory and our good. So if you haven't already, would you please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And I'll read verses 1 and 2 and ask you to follow along as I do so. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask God for his presence and illumination upon the scripture today. Father, we pause in this moment, in this hour, to ask, to beg, to plead that through your spirit you would speak to us today. We ask, Lord, that you would use your word to transform form us, to cause us to be more like our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. And so here in our text, we have the answer to the rhetorical questions I was asking earlier. Is there an appropriate response to the good news of Advent? In light of what God has done for his people through the person and work of Christ, now what? Well, as we've seen in our previous study of this passage, Paul is making a transition to just that end in chapter 12. To this point in his letter to the church in Rome, he's been teaching on the doctrine of justification, what it means to be saved, what it means to be right with God what God has done in order to provide justification for his people. And he's clearly laid that out and what it looks like for that to take root in a believer. Then he concludes his exposition at the end of chapter 11, you may remember, with worship, with doxology. He can't help himself. And then, beginning in chapter 12, Paul moves on to teach us, the church, what it practically looks like for the gospel to work itself out in our lives, both individually and as the body of Christ. If we now belong to Christ, chapters 1 through 11, how does that change the way we live our lives? And in speaking of our response to the gospel, Paul borrows the language that his readers would have been very familiar with from the Old Testament sacrificial system to describe the believer's response to God's salvation as an act of worship. 
Worship in the Old Testament cost the faithful something. It was a worship built around sacrifice for sin, looking ahead to the once-for-all sacrifice that Christ would provide. An offering had to be made for worship to be acceptable. Now that that sacrificial offering has been made by Christ on our behalf, there's no more need for a blood sacrifice of death. Now under the new covenant, Paul tells us that our sacrifice is not dead, but living. We offer our bodies, as Paul said in verse 1, as living sacrifices, as our act of worship and response to the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is making an appeal to us this morning. He's saying, in essence, for the last 11 chapters, I've been telling you of the glory of the gospel, the mercies of God, as he calls it, how you, as a sinner, separated from a holy God, were, along with all of the rest of humanity, doomed to an eternity in hell, separated from all that is good, all that is just, right, peaceful, and holy, relegated to self-absorption, darkness, fear, hatred, evil, and loneliness. That was your plight, and you were hopeless to do anything about it. But God, who is rich in mercy, intervened. He did the only thing that could be done to save us. He entered this hostile world, clothed himself in the frailty of an infant's body, born in an animal's feeding trough in a filthy barn. What an auspicious beginning to a life that would come to suffer shame, humiliation, and from rejection from those he was closest to. And then, in a moment in his life, in the prime of his life, he took upon himself the sentence of death that belonged to you and me. And in that moment, his own father, who he had been in perfect loving communion along with the Holy Spirit for all eternity past, Isaiah tells us, laid on him the iniquity of us all. There on the cross, Jesus placed himself underneath the eternal enormity and heaviness of what was the retribution of a just and holy God toward the wickedness of his people for all time. And God crushed him under the weight of it all. Because of this, Paul says, I am making an appeal to you. Based on this glorious news, this unmerited, undeserved grace, I appeal to you that you now bring an offering to God in worship. And that offering is you. It's your body, your whole life, all that you are to live for Christ in him alone. Isaac Watson, his wonderful hymn that we all love, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, puts it this way. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. 
But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understands that this is easier said than done, isn't it? We're nodding our heads and agreeing with this in the emotion of the moment. That's one thing. What Christian can't get behind this idea? Here's what Jesus has done for me, and as a result, I need to live for him. This isn't rocket science. We get it. We owe everything to him. If, if you can't agree with that basic premise, then I think you've probably got bigger problems, and you might need to search your heart to see if you're even in the Lord. So the problem isn't so much agreeing with the premise, but as you've heard before, and has been attributed to D.L. Moody, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. And so we do, time and time again. I mean, how many of us, when we were young at Christian camp, threw our sticks in a fireplace or made some other commitment or gesture to rededicate our lives to the Lord only to crawl off the altar a few short weeks later? How many of us at this time of year, January, have determined that we're going to do better in our walk with the Lord in the new year, making resolutions that we fully intend to keep, only to slide back into old habits by the time February rolls around. And you know, Paul himself acknowledged this fickleness in his own life just a few chapters earlier in Romans 7 when he admitted, for I do not understand my own actions, for I not... I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. <laughs> For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, what a mercy that Paul was this transparent with us and included this in this great treatise on salvation. Many of us can resonate with that assessment and say, Yeah, Paul, that's me too. I feel your frustration. Paul understood that sanctification is not an easy process. This is where the work for the Christian begins. We don't work to be saved. We know that. That's impossible. Dead people can't do anything to make themselves alive. But once God has made us alive in Christ, the process of becoming like Jesus begins, and it's not an easy process. Having the desire to offer our lives as living sacrifices to God is one thing. Doing it is quite another However, God does not leave us alone in this process either. He provides for the believer's sanctification and his spirit enables us 
to transform more and more into the holiness of Christ. It's a work that Christ does in our hearts as we put aside and mortify sin. And our verse of the year gives us the first step in this process. So assuming that most of us here are in agreement about pursuing this lofty goal, standing here on the cusp of a new year, how can we be successful in living for Jesus in 2018? Let's look at that verse of the year, verse 2, chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Folks, the first thing to understand if you are a believer is that there's a battle going on for your mind. In chapter 7 of Romans that we read earlier, Paul said, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. A war is waging against the law of my mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul instructs there, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There he speaks of the triumph of the Christian life and winning this battle. It's interesting that he uses the same language of warfare in Romans that we just read. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. Paul acknowledges that there's a war being fought for his mind. And like any war, the end game is to take the prize captive. In this case, the prize is your mind. And it's either being made captive to the world and sin, or it's being made captive to Christ. Conformity to the world is the human condition's default position. We don't have to work at that, do we? So if you're not actively pursuing transformation, then you are conforming to the mold of the world. There's no middle ground of nothingness. There's some irony in that often folks determine that they're not going to conform to societal norms, right? But instead, they're going to live outside the box of conformity and live a life of nonconformity. Of course, they just end up conforming to some other element of worldliness and some other group within the world system. If you want to really live a countercultural life, one that's a life of nonconformity, then follow Jesus. And I'm not talking about putting on a suit every week and showing up here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church on Sunday morning or wearing the, wearing the latest T-shirt of the hipster church du jour. No, I'm talking about living an otherworldly life so foreign to the people around you that you come in contact with that they take notice of the supernatural transformation that's happening in you. Be not conformed, but be transformed. The Greek word for transformed here 
is one that you'll recognize. Metamorphus they. It's used four times in the New Testament. It's used in 1 Corinthians, sort of in the same context that we see here in Romans. There Paul says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, metamorphous they, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is again talking about our sanctification, our being set apart, our transformation, becoming more and more like Jesus in his holiness. We are being gloriously changed in the image of our brother Christ. And even this process in which we struggle against sin is a work of God's spirit in our lives. The other two occasions, and I think this is really interesting, where this word, metamorphose, appears are in Matthew and Mark's account of Jesus' transfiguration. And there it's translated, transfigured. Jesus' earthly body, you'll remember, was transfigured into his heavenly, glorified state. Of course, this is the word where we get the English word, the scientific word, metamorphosis, a word used to describe something changing its kind like a tadpole becoming a frog, or a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, something becoming something altogether different. In order for us to be living sacrifices for the Lord, we must not only not conform our minds to the world system, which is, remember, our default position, but we must reformat our minds. Metamorphous they, transform our minds, our minds must become otherworldly. I've mentioned this before, but in the context it bears repeating. You have heard it said about someone perhaps that he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Scripturally, that's impossible. The picture is not one of our minds being on some sort of heavenly earthly thought scale with us finding the right balance between lofty angelic thoughts and the practical here and now thoughts. This is a false dichotomy. We don't need a balanced mind. We need a complete reformatting of the hard drive. We need a mind transplant, if you will, a metamorphosis of the mind. In fact, it's much more likely that you're going to run into folks where the opposite statement could be made. They're so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. And I fear that it is that statement that more likely describes us more often than not. By the way, on a side note, if you ever come across that guy, you know the one who's so heavenly-minded that he's no earthly good? Introduce us. I want to hang out with that guy. I need more of that in my life. Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians 4, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And he uses, I love the language, it's just, he uses the same language back and forth in all of his letters. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, again, a mental image there, because of the ignorance that is in them. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This renewal or transformation of the mind that Paul speaks of is what John MacArthur calls the foundation of sanctification. We can offer our bodies as living sacrifices, but until there is a renewal of the mind, there will be no practical working out of that living sacrifice. And Paul finishes the sentence by declaring that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have here, Calvin says, the purpose for which we ought to put on a new mind. It is to dismiss our own counsels and desires and those of all men and be attentive to the will of God alone. The knowledge of God's will is true wisdom. But if the renewal of our mind is necessary for the purpose of proving what the will of God is, it is clear from this how hostile the mind is to God. The transformed mind is enabled to test and prove what is God's will. This makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you want to know the mind of Christ, then it would behoove you to pursue the mind of Christ, right? How many Christians, how many of us speak of wanting to know God's will for our lives? But we aren't willing to invest the discipline that it takes for obtaining it. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. I'm going to guess that most of you this morning are resonating with the word of God that you're hearing. None of this is new. And probably in your heart of hearts, you want to get on board with it. If, however, God's word is not impacting you today, then I would suspect one of two things. Either you don't know Jesus Christ yet, and you need a saving power in your life, or you don't have an understanding of your sinfulness and what it costs Jesus to save you. If you do find that you're still on the outside looking in, then ask God to enliven your soul with the light of the gospel today. Go home and read the first 11 chapters of Romans and grapple with your need of a Savior. Repent of your sin today. Profess Christ as your Lord and Savior and be saved. If you believe that you are saved but don't have a desire to serve him in the way we've talked about and the way the scriptures presented it, then the remedy for you is the same. Go back and read the first 11 chapters of Romans. Because until you understand the depth of your sin and the magnitude of God's grace in your life, you won't understand how indebted you are to him. 
and you won't be ready to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. But for those Christ followers who want this in your heart of hearts, like Paul, that struggles there, and you want it, you want to do right, you want to live for the Lord, but you feel unequipped, you feel like it's a constant battle. I will assume that we want 2018 to be a year of living for Christ, a year of progress on this road of sanctification, a year in which we strive not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So where do we begin? First, remember that living for Christ begins with a transformed mind. Remember that you're at war. The battle is over your mind. Your mind is going to be in one of two positions, either conformity to the world or transformed from the world to Christ. Either you will have the mind of Christ or the mind of sin. Which one do you want? I want you to write down a couple of things where you can, or if you're taking notes today, or even if you haven't been taking notes, this would be a good thing to write down. First, I want you to write the word conformity. And then I don't know what this is technically called, but I've seen it a lot these days. That equal sign with a slash through it. Doesn't equal. Put that next. And then put transformation. Conformity will not equal, does not equal, transformation. Then below that, write, nonconformity equals transformation. Nonconformity equals transformation. Now, some of you are probably saying, wait a minute, that's not what that says. But remember that conformity to the world is our mind's default position, and there's no passive position you cannot decide, I'm not going to be conformed to the world, but you know what, I don't think I'm going to pursue the mind of Christ either. That, by default, means you will continue in a state of conformity. To be non-conformed to the world necessitates reprogramming or renewing your mind with other thoughts. If you spend your time conforming to the world, pursuing the thoughts of the world, filling your mind with the media of the world, then don't expect to experience any success in this proposition. But if you instead fill your mind with the things of God, our verse of the year tells us you can expect to know the will of God and successfully live out a transformed life. It's not going to be easy. So what does this look like on a practical level? How do I fill my mind with the things of Christ? In Colossians, Paul says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And here's one of the song leader's favorite passages, right? 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. First, we must go to the word of Christ, the Bible. Its words must dwell in us richly. God has chosen to reveal himself to us through his word, and we will never have a transformed mind unless we are mining the scriptures for the wisdom and knowledge of God. We must develop a daily discipline of reading and studying God's word if we are to have a transformed mind, and we must place ourselves under the faithful preaching and teaching of the scriptures. Secondly, we must teach and disciple, admonish one another in all wisdom when we gather together around his word. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. We need each other to be accountable, to share in each other's gifts, and to grow in our mutual understanding of who God is. Thirdly, we need to sing to one another in worship as we sing praise to God. God inhabits the praise of his people. He has ordained singing for his glory and our good. Fourthly, we must pray with thanksgiving in our hearts to God. It always comes back to the basics, doesn't it? We like to make things complicated. But God makes himself accessible to even the least or youngest among us. Whatever your age or station in life, God desires that you live for him with a renewed mind. And he's equipped you to do it through the power of his Holy Spirit. Whether you're in college, whether you're in high school or middle school or elementary school, whether you're a senior, whether you live alone or live with a family, single, middle-aged folks, parents, it doesn't matter. We're all in this same process together. And God has called us to have renewed minds and to be transformed. So a few questions as we wrap up here. Who is winning the battle for your mind? What steps are you willing to take in 2018 to allow for transformation by the renewing of your mind? Are you willing to commit to reading God's word in an effort to renew your mind? No doubt, as we've already told you, you've noticed there's a Bible reading program on the back of your verse of the year card. Let me tell you something interesting. You'd be inclined to think that this arrangement was part of the plan for today, right? Part of the plan for the sermon. I would tell you that you're wrong. The session came up with the verse of the year. This is our typical way of delivering that to you. Another staff member and ministry team came up with the idea of presenting a Bible reading plan to the congregation this year. These ideas were, in our minds, unrelated and were not conceived as an application of the sermon. This card was simply an easy, ready-made vehicle for distributing the reading plan to you. I'll let you decide whether or not God and his providence had anything to do with the convergence of these things. In any case, if you want to renew your mind, here's a good place to start. 
And finally, let me challenge you to evaluate what you do each day, especially your downtime. And if you're wondering, I am preaching the sermon to myself more than to any of you, I can assure you. And the Lord's been using this in my life this week. So evaluate what you do each day with these two words. Conformity, transformation. Is this activity, social media, and guys, the sermon's for everybody today. Kids, teenagers, college kids. Is this activity, social media, television, movie, book, video, music, conversation, etc., helping me in my desire to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, or is it helping me to remain conformed to the world? As an individual, ask God to continue his work of sanctification in you. Plead for that. He'll answer those prayers. Ask God to work out his sanctification in you through his spirit. Ask him to give you the spirit's aid to put to death the world and sin that keep us in this state of conformity. Ask him to give you a passion and a desire for him to renew your mind according to his and to transform you into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus. And as a church, let's commit to this verse of the year that our leaders have placed before us today. Let's commit to this and marvel at what, can God, God, what God can do with us as living sacrifices with transformed minds. Would you finish together this morning by reading our verse of the year with me out loud together? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we understand, and perhaps those that have walked with the Lord the longest understand the most, about this battle that's raging within us. We understand Paul's frustration and feel it in our own lives. And yet, Father, in our heart of hearts, we want to be like Jesus. We need your help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Give us the will Give us the desire, give us the passion to mortify sin, to put to death those things that would distract us from living for you. And enable us, through your word, through the power of transformation, to live lives that are pleasing and acceptable to you, holy, set apart, which is our reasonable act of worship. And help us to do this with minds that have been transformed by your spirit that are no longer conformed to this world. We ask this in the name of our precious Savior. Amen.